Thank you, Don. And Edwina, thank you for your, uh, your patience as well. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We're continuing with our examination of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which we've spent the last uh, few months in, which I hope has been a blessing to you all. And today we will uh, be reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can meet in this place, in this way, and have the freedom to be able to rejoice in the salvation openly that we have. We pray, Lord, that you would superintend this sermon this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be working on and in our hearts, that our hearts would be opened and laid bare before you, that you might reveal to us your ways and our ways. Father, I pray that we would be challenged today, that we would leave this place with a greater commitment to serve and follow you, to honour you in everything that we do, to glorify you with our lives. We thank you once again for your precious word that we can trust and that we rest upon for our truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I got saved while I was at uni. And while I was at uni, I was 19 years old, I got in touch with a few different groups, Christian groups that were there. So I hadn't I wasn't raised a Baptist or anything like that. I was I'd come from a Catholic background, um, and I discovered a whole new world of, of Christianity. So we met, there was a Christian campus fellowship that was going on, and they would meet every Thursday, and uh, it was quite a large, large group, and they would have sometimes guest speakers that would come in. And I, and there was one sermon that's, that stuck in my mind once, I'd never heard anything like that, and mind you, I, I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know much of the word, I didn't know, so everything that I was hearing, I was just absorbing and this fellow came and shared a message with us, and it was about prayer. And he was, he was instructing the, the younger Christians over there how we are to pray. And he was t- telling us, basically the message was, when you pray, pray for specific things. Okay, for specific things. And I thought, okay, that makes sense. You can be specific with God. And then he said that, that um, if you want something... You can go go to God and be specific about it and say, God, I want this. And he gave an example of a bike that he wanted. And he he went on to, to, to explain that he wanted this bike. And 
he hadn't seen the bike yet, but he knew that he wanted a new, a brand new bike. So he said to himself, God, I want this bike and I want it to be red. I want it to have white white um, uh, rims like around the uh, around the tires i wanted to have this that and the other and then he proceeded to to share with all of us over there that when you pray in that way god will always give you what you want sounds funny doesn't it so i want a brand new car I want a people mover. See that white thing? I, mean, I want one of those. I want it to be white. I want it to have chrome wheels. I want it to have seven airbags. And I want it to have a sunroof and, and a fantastic stereo system. And if I pray hard enough about it, I'm going to get it. Now you're laughing. Why are you laughing out there? What's wrong with that? Well, a few years later, I had the, the privilege of listening to a sermon by a fellow called Joel Osteen. And I knew there was something wrong, okay? No, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to make too much of a big deal about it. But I knew the reason I was watching um, some of his sermons was I wanted to determine, is what people were saying true? You know what I mean? Because I heard a lot of criticism about this guy. So I wanted to hear a few of his sermons. And I heard one of them in particular. And his, he and his wife were at the front of the church. And, and they were talking about prayer again. And it wasn't much different to the bike sermon, you see. And their and their prayer went something like this: that they would, that they were walking, and they would they would walk together in the morning to do their exercise together, and they'd walk for half an hour, an hour together, and they they saw a house, right, this huge mansion, okay, that was sitting halfway up a hill or whatever it was, and they said to themselves that they wanted that house. And they prayed to the Lord to give them that house. And they, they kept on praying, they kept on praying because they had their hearts set on it. And eventually, guess what? The house went up for sale and they bought the house. So that was their answer to prayer. And they had the money to buy it. Is that what this passage is talking about? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. A lot of churches um, use this passage as a name it and claim it passage. In other words, whatever you want, God should provide. As long as you believe, as long as you have the faith that God's going to give it to you, doesn't matter what it is, you will be, um, will be answered that prayer. But have you ever prayed for something even persistently and it's not been answered? Yes. I'm assuming if you're like me, you've had prayers and desires that you've shared before the Lord and they haven't been answered. Either they haven't been answered, God's been silent, or he's told you, no, something totally different you're going to get. Have you ever read this passage in your Bible or anyone that does it really apply to me? And how is it meant to be applied? I mean, you pray for this and for that and... You know, and sometimes there's no answer and sometimes there's an answer. And, and I know, we, we pray often and I encourage you all to come on a Wednesday evening to pray together. And during those, the, the beautiful thing about um, Wednesday nights is that we normally keep a, a list of things. And I keep a list to see how things are tracking. And you see, tick, God's answered that one, God's answered that. So God answers prayer. We see that. 
But God doesn't answer every prayer that we pray. He doesn't. So does it make this particular passage wrong? I mean, Jesus says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Jesus is obviously instructing us here that there is some sort of a guarantee for persistence, isn't it? In our asking. If we're determined in our seeking. If we're enduring in our knocking. And what is Jesus exactly teaching over here? On the surface, this sounds wonderful, this verse. This is one of the favourite verses that people have oftentimes. I mean, it's, it's poetic in the way it comes across as well. Ask, seek, knock. And as I've said, it's actually the basis of a lot of name it and claim it theology that we find in so many churches today. It's become a proof text for many people about prayer. All you have to do is ask in faith and God will give you what you want. That new job that I'm looking for. That new relationship I'm hoping for. There's good results that I'm waiting for from the doctor. There are so many things we pray for. Some we receive, but some we don't. Is Jesus guaranteeing us that we're going to receive a positive response to every prayer or serious prayer that we bring before him? The answer is no. This is not an unconditional promise. Sorry to break it to you. It's not an unconditional promise that God will turn into some sort of cosmic vending machine and you put your dollar in and he gives, he's going to give or spit out exactly what you want. It doesn't exactly work like that. This is not what Jesus was teaching here. And today I'd like us to look at what Jesus was teaching in this passage. Now the problem is sometimes when we read scripture in isolation, we tend to read a superficial version of it without digging a little bit deeper. So we, we come under the impression um, that it's if you read just that passage without reading before and after the context of the whole thing, you can pull something, what we say, out of context and then make a whole doctrine about it. Cults are fantastic at that. They'll take a small section of, of the Bible and they'll make a doctrine out of, of that specific thing. The temptation when we read scripture is to think that each chapter, each paragraph, each portion, if it sounds different to the previous version, to the previous passage, and if you read um, the Sermon on the Mount, it looks as if it's disjointed sometimes, doesn't it? So you read something, it's talking about prayer, and it's talking about something else, and you think, oh, there must be some master started a new thing altogether. And that, that little portion must, must be sitting out there all by itself. But it's not. Most of the time it's not. Jesus is actually illustrating a much bigger picture and we fail to see how that fits in with the rest of it. The beauty of scripture is that so much of it links together beautifully in ways that aren't apparent at a quick glance. God wants you to dig a bit deeper. God wants you to dive into his word and spend time dissecting it and looking at it to understand how it actually works and what he's actually saying. Not only are portions linked, but paragraphs, chapters, entire books in the Bible have a common theme to them and link together with other passages in other books. And it beautifully uh, flows together. But in order to fully grasp the meaning of a passage, we often need to compare 
one passage with another passage, what we call a parallel passage in the Bible, to understand fully what he's actually uh, talking to us about. But if you're persistent, if you're persistent with your desire to understand the truth of God's word, then you will be rewarded. Now, I'm just giving you a little bit of a hint about what the answer is here. Reward for persistence is the theme of this particular section. But to avoid error in the way we apply it, uh, we need to read it in the light of the theme of the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of Scripture. So let's go back one passage to one passage to remind ourselves what Jesus had just taught. Now, literally five minutes before in his sermon, go back to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Okay, so we're looking at ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Okay? So look at that progression. Ask, seek, and knock. Now, why is he using those three words? Are they all do they all mean exactly the same thing? Do they all mean just prayer? Hmm, let's have a look. Let's go back to Matthew chapter six, verse seven. But when you pray. Use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things you have need of before ye ask him. Okay? So Jesus, just a chapter before, which is literally five minutes before this, chap this chapter. Do you understand? Sometimes we're reading things week after week, a small portion of it, and we get... We forget that only a few a few moments ago he was talking about something else, okay? And what he was talking about was prayer, and he and he and he was talking to them about the right way to pray. And then he gives them in verse nine to thirteen. It says, "After this manner, therefore, pray ye." So don't get caught up with the way these other guys are doing it, it's because God already knows. He says what you need before you even ask it. But if you want to come to Him. To ask for something, pray in this way. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You will notice one common theme in the prayer that the Lord gave as a model to his disciples. And that's asking. See, that prayer is about asking God. It's asking for God's name to be hallowed. It's asking for his kingdom. You're asking for his kingdom to come. For our daily bread. For forgiveness. For protection from temptation. For delivery from evil. And finally, that God himself would be glorified everywhere for all time. You're asking for these things and you're trusting in his power and his wisdom to do it. And you'll notice something here. Asking for daily necessities okay, only ranks one part in eight basic things that they've asked for. So our daily, give us our daily bread. It's not a huge part of the, of the prayer, is it? Most of the prayer is focused on him. 
on his glory, on his power, on what's good for him. Then you're asking for things that still benefit him. Things with our walk in our lives that he would forgive us as we forgive others, that we would live lives that are protected from the influence of temptation and evil, that he would deliver us. So once again, we're asking for things whereby we can serve him more faithfully. Once again, it's for him. And our daily bread only ranks one little line in, that whole, in the whole thing. So that's where we get our asking from. Because just before this passage, he was talking about asking. But even though prayer was a major theme in chapter 6, it's only part of a greater theme in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw the Lord teaching that whether you were giving alms, remember he talked about giving alms, which is giving to the poor, about praying and about fasting. Remember those three things that he spoke about? It's whatever it is you were doing, okay? whether you were praying, whether you were fasting, whether you were giving alms, whether you were going to church, whatever it was, He said, and he concluded at the end of it, whatever it was you were doing, don't do it for earthly reward. Do it for him and do it for the reward that will come in heaven. In other words, he was saying, have your heart and your eyes and your mind firmly fixed in heaven that you're building up your inheritance over there. You're building up your rewards over there and that everything you do, you're doing for him. Whatever you did, he says, whatever you do in your life, do for his attention. Do for his pleasure. Do for his glory. And then he goes, everything else will just fall into place. So prayer here is synonymous with asking God for those things. The main focus is asking in a way that has to do with him and his kingdom and how we might fit into it. Then Jesus finishes chapter 6. Look at the, So he ch- starts chapter 6 with um, how to pray and how to ask, right? Then he finishes chapter 6 in verse 31. It says, Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Did you see the word seek in there? Okay. We've got our ask. We've got our seek. Do you know, if, as an employer, for those of you who employ other people in um, in your businesses, do you have obligations? Yeah, and getting bigger and bigger, right? Okay, but basically, as an employer, if you employ someone at your work and your and your um and your uh, your whatever it is, what business, whatever it is you're running, you have an obligation to provide that person with a safe working environment, right? With the tools they need to do their work, okay, and with the general things around them that they can actually function in a way that's 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 profitable to you. So, how about if you employ someone? and you want them to be a taxi driver, but don't give them a taxi. Or don't give them the basic necessities of what, of what they need to do their work. You see, it's automatic. If, if well, whoever you employ, you know what you need to provide for them in order for them to do their work. Is that correct? I mean, you'd be pretty thick to employ someone 
and not give them the tools they need for their job or give them the basic necessities. Imagine if you, 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 had, you had people who came to work but you didn't have any toilets or running water in, in the place where you work. How long will you keep those employees for? Probably too long. So, if we, as owners of businesses and people who run businesses, know what to give our employees, how much more does God know what to give people who are employed by him? You see, the Bible calls us his servants, his stewards, people that he's put in charge of certain assets that he has, that he owns, and he's asked us to manage those assets. Do you think that God would employ people without giving them the necessities they need to do their work? If you think that God is negligent in that way, then you're saying that we are more intelligent than he is. And that's what this passage is saying. If you are somehow connected to God, if he has called you to serve him, then he will give you everything you need in order to live your life. That's why it stresses it in verse 32. For your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Don't think in your mind that God doesn't know that you have to eat, that you have to drink, that you have to have a home to live in, that you need clothes to wear. God knows those things. Even before you mention them. But God not only takes care of the needs of his employees and his citizens, but God takes care of his children, you see, which raises it to another level again. To imagine that God is somehow more negligent than us as parents, that he doesn't know the needs of his own children, is to put him below us. And that is completely wrong. We saw a few weeks back that the Lord would not have us overly occupied worrying about what food or drink or clothing or whatever else people regard as essential things to live. Do you remember that the people whom the Lord was speaking to here really had those problems? They didn't know the next day whether they might even have any food or have water to drink. They didn't have a... a most of them wouldn't have had a wardrobe that they could just open up and, and go through all their clothes to work out what they were going to wear. Sometimes what they were wearing on their back was it. They realistically had problems like that, but we don't. So how do we fit into this thing? How do we um, factor into what the Lord is teaching over here? Well, First world countries have different problems to third world countries, don't they? We have other problems. We worry about our health. We worry about our clothes. We worry about our money, our work, our family, our homes. We worry about a whole lot of other things um, that we just replace those other things with. And guess what? The Lord knows you have need of those too. He knows you need money to live. He knows you need a home to live in. But if you think of it logically, sometimes the things we worry about aren't really things we should be worrying about. They're not what you would call necessities because we've become so used to those things in our lives that for us, in our minds, they are so necessary for us to be happy or for us to, to live. But if you strip it all back, we don't need probably half the things that we have.
So the Lord finishes the chapter with stop worrying about all these things. Whether it's your health, whether it's your job, whether it's your home, whether it's money you got in the bank, whether it's your car that's breaking down, whether it's whatever. A bad a relationship that's gone bad or whatever it is. Jesus says, don't worry about those things. In other words, don't stress out too much about those things. Focus on him. And those things fall into place. Instead, the thing you should be focused on is a thing you should concentrate all your energies upon, which is seeking his kingdom first in your life. That means obeying to the best of your ability everything that he has told you in his word before you worry about everything else. And his guarantee, his guarantee to you is that if you focus yourself on his work, if you focus yourself on his kingdom and on him, then these other things will be automatically provided to you. So the Lord has referred to prayer in asking and he's referred to seeking. Okay, But where's the knocking? <laughs> you see any knocking flying around here in chapter 6? Because I don't see it. Well, let's look at what's called a parallel passage in Scripture. This is, where, this is where another gospel writer actually writes about the same event, okay? But what one gospel writer, the angle one gospel writer takes is different to the other gospel writer, okay? Look, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Now, remember we read the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6 of Matthew? Okay, and then after chapter 6, he talked about seeking. And then after that, he talked about, uh, he's talking about the passage that we're looking about today, about you know, ask and seeking and knocking. Look at, look at what Luke does. Luke in the chapter 11, verse 2 says, and, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us, give us day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, uh, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted. Sorry, have I? Am I reading the right passage? Yep, indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, you recognise that? Part of the Lord's prayer, right? So so far, he's got the same as Matthew, right? But then look at verse five. He goes straight from that too, and he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer, and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. For I say unto you, Though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And look at verse 9. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Now what's going on over here? So Luke starts with the Lord's Prayer, puts this passage in the middle of it, which is about going to a friend's house in the middle of the night, knocking on his door, 
and asking for three loaves of bread because you've got some people who are coming over the next day and you've got nothing to share with them. And the guy eventually says, all right, I'll give you the bread because you're being a headache to me. And then he goes on to say, ask and it shall be given. It's because Matthew chose not to put that in, but Luke did. What Matthew did over two whole chapters, Luke has done in one, has condensed into one. And Luke has, by the, by the Holy Spirit, said, I'm going to put this one in there. Because you know what? When you put those things together, you've got your asking, your seeking, and then you're knocking at a door who will, that will open to you. Okay? So there's your asking, seeking, and knocking. So this is the beauty of Scripture. The beauty of Scripture is that the Gospel writers, Matthew did not write every word that Jesus said. And John didn't write every word that Jesus said. And Mark didn't write every word that Jesus said. And Luke didn't write every word that Jesus said. But you know something? When you put those, those, those four together, you've got a beautiful thing that just works together. So, here's a story about a friend in need of some bread because people have come over to visit and he wants to be hospitable to them. So he knocks at his friend's door. Now, you wouldn't you love it? You're in bed at midnight in your home and someone you hear a knocking at the door at midnight now most most of us if you heard a knocking at the door at midnight you'd be jumping out of bed wouldn't you instead this guy keeps knocking and he goes who is it at midnight and and it's his friend and he goes it's me at the front door i need some bread for tomorrow and eventually he, he says to him listen mate i'm in bed with my kids he goes, don't stop disturbing us, stop, stop harassing us. But eventually this guy is so persistent that eventually he opens the door, gives him the bread and says, see you later. I'll, I'll beat you up next time I see you. Uh, it's, if you look at it from our, from our perspective, from, from modern perspective, it's very rude, isn't it? It'd be rude for someone to come and ask for bread in the middle of midnight. Surely he could have waited till the next morning or something. But it's saying here, the message is that to be persistent in, in, in your knocking. Okay? And this passage then finishes with the same thing. Ask, seek, and knock. So, we found the three things that Jesus had mentioned before. Asking in prayer, seeking the kingdom, and the example of knocking that we've just read about. And what do these three things Jesus mentioned put together mean? It's that we should continue to chase after the things of God diligently, not just with words, but with desire and effort as well. See, it took effort for that guy to, get, to go to the, his friend's place. Guess what? Would you need an ounce of courage to knock on a friend's door at midnight to ask what you need? Try it sometime. Just don't... Don't come to my house. You need an ounce of courage for that. More than an ounce. And then you need more, more courage again to keep knocking when he's told you to go home. And you need effort to go out in the middle of the night, and it probably was cold, to leave your own home and to go finding this house. You see, that takes effort. I believe that these elements are present, these three elements, asking, seeking and, and knocking, are, are, are present in most things that we deem important in our lives. You may desire something in your life, 
But you normally don't, don't just stop at asking for it, do you? You normally go and work for it. You normally go and, and expend the effort to go, to go and get it and to find it. If your desire is there, um, you will expend energy on it. And I believe that this is what the Lord would have us learn from this passage. It's not just about praying for something over and over and over and over and over again, but never doing anything about it. You can pray for God to make you holy. But you know something? If you don't spend time in your word, if you don't spend time reading the Bible and putting the effort in, uh, do you expect to be holy? How about if you, you, you pray, God, make me holy, 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 but don't bother to go to church on a Sunday morning. Or don't bother to ever serve. Or don't bother to do the things, the basic things that God has asked you to do. Do you expect to grow in the Lord? No, you shouldn't have any expectation at all. So asking is a bit like banging your head against a, uh, a brick wall. God wants us to ask. He wants us to seek. And he wants us to knock. He wants us to put the energy into it. Because if it's important to you, show him it's important. Be diligent. Be persistent. And put the effort. God wants us to be persistent. To keep on asking. To keep on seeking. To keep on knocking. But why? And this is the next part of this passage. Why should we persist? And the answer is very simple. Because God loves us more than we will ever understand. And God's so much better than a friend who got up in the middle of the night to give three loaves of bread to his mate. God is so much better than our own earthly parents who he compares as evil compared to him. Matthew 7, 9 says, Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will give him a serpent. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now, Luke uses a similar phrase. Luke records another thing. He actually says, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, <coughs> will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg? Will he give him a scorpion? Similar thoughts, though. That earthly parents know how to give good things to their children. So with that in mind, how much more will God give us good things? God will not give us things that are bad if we ask for them. God delights, the Bible says, in giving good things to his children. So, with that in mind, you can have confidence in asking, seeking, and knocking because the Lord's love for you specifically is so much purer than the love your own parents have for you. It's so much higher. It's so much greater. And with that love comes a greater wisdom and knowledge of what you need as an individual in your life. Have you heard the saying, you can give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, but if you teach a man to fish, he'll, you'll feed him for a lifetime. Is that, is that like an Asian saying? Is that like a... Uh, I don't know where that comes from. I, I, I tried to find it, but I couldn't, I couldn't work out where it was from. But I'll tell you something. God believes in that as well. You know, when, when the Lord called the disciples, he didn't say, come and I will make you eat as a fish. 
He says, come and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' job wasn't to bring along people so he could feed them. Jesus' job was to bring along people that he could build them up to become fishers of men, to become men who would produce in their own lives. And God wants you to produce. And he wants to give you things, not just to feed you for today, but that you can actually feed and learn to, learn to actually feed other people as well. Not just materially, but spiritually. God wants us to be able to feed other people. And you can't do that unless you've, you've eaten first yourself and know how to, how to eat. See, see the Bible that you're holding in your hands? Spiritually, that is your food. And spiritually, that's where God wants you to, to gain your nourishment from. You start off, the Bible says, by drinking milk. That's why the babes in the Bible refers to the Bible as the milk of the word. But then God wants you to dig deeper and deeper and start getting more and more substantial food in your life so you grow stronger and stronger. And guess what? As you grow in that word and you grow stronger in the faith and you grow stronger in your knowledge by the grace of God, you will be able to, guess what? Feed others and teach them how to feed and how to grow. God wants you to be able to not just feed yourself, he doesn't want to just keep giving you a fish every now and then. He wants you to grow in such a way that you'll be able to help other people as well. But look at Luke 11.13. Look what it says there. And you'll find something which is really interesting compared to what Matthew has. Luke finishes in verse 13 with saying, if ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. And we've, we've known that. That's, that's what we're reading. Okay? We've read that in Matthew. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Well, hang on a sec. That's different to Matthew. Matthew said good, giving good things to your children, but Luke says give the Holy Spirit. Is there a, a contradiction? No. Luke just chose to record that as an extra thing, where Matthew chose not to, not to record that thing. You mean that I might ask something of the Lord, and instead of giving me that thing, he's going to give me more of the Holy Spirit? You might ask God to give you a new job, but he might give you more of the Holy Spirit. You might ask God to, to, uh, to be a, a wise and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. You might ask God to, to be of greater service in the church and he'll give you more of the Holy Spirit. God give, knows how to give good gifts to his children. He gives those things which will build you up in the faith, not tear you down. That's why James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Because wisdom comes by the Spirit of God. You know who the author of that book you're holding in your hand is? The Spirit of God. The Bible says the Spirit of God led men to write those words. It was the Spirit of God who is the author. And guess who the teacher is? The Spirit of God. So where does wisdom? So when you pray for wisdom from God, guess where it's going to come through? The Spirit of God. God gives his Spirit. So, the answer... God gives to those who seek good gifts from him is the Holy Spirit. 
He'll first give you the Holy Spirit when you're saved. And then He'll give you access to the Holy Spirit so you might grow in the knowledge and faith. So, it comes with conditions, though. So, as Jesus promised His disciples in John chapter 15, verse 7, you don't have to read there with me because we'll, we'll close up in a, in a couple of minutes now. John, John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. You get that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Hmm. So it's conditioned upon me receiving my answer to my prayers is that his words abide in me and I abide in him. Correct? That's a condition. He actually puts that condition in there. And it's through, once again, the Spirit of God that we do that. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Condition. That we pray according to his will. Well, guess what? If you have the Spirit of God, who's leading you in your prayers? You know, when Jesus prayed and he spent time alone with his Father, guess who was leading him in the prayers? It was the Spirit of God. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? It was the Spirit of God. It was a Spirit that actually led Jesus his entire life, and he listened to that Spirit. And he, he continued to obey and grow in that Spirit. And God asked us to do the same. The confidence we have is that we ask, if we ask anything according to his will, not ours, to his, that he will listen and he will answer. But unfortunately, James says in, in James chapter 4, verse 3, that there are many, there were many in the church then, who were praying for things just so they can, they can consume it upon their own lusts. There were things that they wanted, but it wasn't according to God's will. You know, Wednesday evenings, we've been looking at the will of God. And it's interesting that it's sort of come up all at the same time over here. And we had, it was almost our last, our last um, devotion on it. And we found out some interesting things. What is the will of God? Because everyone asks the same question about their lives. What is, how do I know the will of God for my life? How do I know what job God wants me to have, what home he wants me to, uh, you know, to buy, or what car, or what ministry, or whatever else it is? And... We said, well, let's go back to the, to the beginning and let's find out what the Bible says is clearly the will of God. And we found out that there were about six of them. And we, we looked at the New Testament and it said, for instance, the first thing God wills for a person's life is that they will be saved. The first thing. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, who will, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. That's the first will of God, that a person saved. Because outside of that will, outside of salvation, you can't have anything else. There is nothing else. You're lost. You cannot possibly know the will of God or you probably won't even want to know the will of God for your life anyway. The second thing that he, that he wants, the Bible teaches, is to be filled with the Spirit. And Ephesians 5.17 says, Wherefore, be, not, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So God wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Now you receive the Spirit when you're saved, but the filling comes later. The filling is how much you're willing to actually walk according to His Word. 
how much you will submit yourself to him and his leading in your life. And then we read, his will is that you'd be sanctified, that you would be submissive, that you would enter into the sufferings of Christ and that you will be thankful in your life. And you, you can find all those. If you look up will in the New Testament, you can find God's will is that you'd be this. God's will is that you'd be that. So there are six basic things that God would have us to have. But the, the question then arose after these things, but what about which house I am to buy? What about which car, which ministry, which career? Do I move from Melbourne to Grafton? Well, I'm not thinking about moving from Melbourne to Grafton. Someone else might. What about all those things? Well, the answer is quite simple. That if you have, if you're saved and you're filled with the Spirit so that you're walking according to Him every, everywhere you go, that you're sanctified, which means that you are living a holy life, that you're submissive to your government, your church, your family, your families, your employers, that you've entered into the sufferings of Christ and you are being persecuted for what you believe, that you are thankful in all things that you have, guess what? Go ahead and do whatever you want. Go ahead and do it. Whether it's a house, whether it's a car, whether it's a career, because you know something? If you have these things, if you are submissive and you are saved and you are filled and you are sanctified and you are holy, if you have all those things in your life, then who do you think is directing your will? Who do you think is controlling your desires? He is. So whatever desires come up within you, they're already his. So go ahead and do them. And you know something, the confidence we have is that even though you may go and do something, right, and it may be even the wrong thing, God will direct you completely. And we brought up the example of Paul. You know, Paul, if there's anyone that was living a holy life, sanctified, living... He was, he was suffering for the Lord. He was thankful for all things. He was, he was sanctified as a person. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. Guess what? Paul, at one stage of his life, wanted to go to Asia Minor to share the gospel. He had that as a desire in his heart. And guess what? God said, no, you're not going there. So then he goes, well, I'm going to go to Bithynia now. We're heading off to Bithynia. And, and God said, no, you're not going there. All right? God, what do you want me to do? Then he gets a vision. And God directs him to Macedonia. There was a need there. So in the end, God will stop you or open the door for you. If you are walking according to his will, if you are obeying what the word of God says, guess what? All those other things God will make very, very clear for you in your life. If you desire to be filled with the Spirit, then ask for it. Seek it by having the word of God in your life. Live it. And when you reach that door of opportunity, when you reach a door that says, you know, which door do I take, this door or that, to just knock and the door will be opened to you. God will open that door. Perseverance in prayer. Perseverance in Bible study. Perseverance in evangelism. Don't give up on these things. Don't give up. Because oftentimes the fruit comes later. So when Christ says to ask, seek and knock, we must be sure that whatever it is that we are asking, seeking and knocking is in line with God's kingdom. If our heart is there, then he will give it to us. 
The rest of the stuff, we don't need to concern ourselves with too much because he already knows he's going to give it to us anyway. He already knows what we need. If we focus on earthly things before heaven, we put the cart before the horse and the cart doesn't move. The horse has to go first, which is the kingdom of God. If that's our focus, the horse will pull the cart with the earthly, earthly stuff. That's the picture that this, this passage is actually teaching us. So, seek for the kingdom of God first in your life. Seek for purity, faithfulness, service, love, church, the gospel, prayer, the word of God. Seek those things in your life and these other things will naturally come to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, I've spoken about the progression of ask, and it shall be given you. Then seek, and you'll find. Knock, it shall be opened unto you. Do you know something? Do you want to know the Lord? If, and the question is, do you know him this morning? If you don't know... Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour. If you haven't committed or put your trust in him to save you from hell, then ask him. Seek him. And you know something? Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. Jesus says he is the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. This morning, if you don't know him, if he's not real to you, if you don't know that you're, going, you're definitely going to heaven, if you leave this place and maybe are killed on the way home, then ask for him. Seek him and knock. And it will be open to you. He says, everyone who comes to me, will not, I will no wise turn away. He will not turn you away. If you're struggling with your walk this morning, seek for him, ask him, knock. And he will open the door to you. You want to live a holy life for him? Do you want to live a victorious Christian life? Then do that. And be persistent with it. Do the things he's asked you to do. And put him first. And all these other things, they'll sort themselves out. God bless you.